Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott Hell, and it's just me here again in the studio again tonight. Yes, I know. People are tired of just hearing me. They want to hear the great Amber speak. Unfortunately, this time of year, Amber's in very high demand, and she is actually at a speaking speaking engagement as we as I'm talking right now in the studio. Uh, as it's Halloween, come on, people love Amber and. They love to listen to her speak about weird stuff this, that happens here in Michigan. So she's in very high demand. Uh, hopefully this will be one of the last weeks we are without her, though. Be that as it may, I had a fantastic time talking to Bob and Laura Antone about everything under the sun. Bob and Laura Antone lead historical and paranormal tours throughout the state of Washington. From Bigfoot to UFO sightings, missing time, and cursed haunted locations, this husband and wife team collects stories from hidden corners of the Pacific Northwest. Laura is a registered member of the Denny First Nations. As a result, their company focuses on history and cultural understanding from multiple points of view. Namely, we are all related. Please enjoy my discussion with Bob and Laura Antone. Bob and Laura, first off, I want to thank you guys again and again and again and again for taking some time to come talk to us here tonight on Ghostly Talk. How are you guys tonight? We're doing great. Thank you for asking. We're doing awesome. What got you into, obviously, the stuff, you, the, the touring, the tour guiding stuff that you guys do? What got you guys that stuff into that stuff uh, initially? Yeah, so we used to host uh, storytelling circles in town. We're about 30 miles east of Seattle. Yeah. And about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, we started to host uh, storytelling circles. We invited the public. They'd show up and we'd just go around the ring and everybody would would share. A lot of times the yeah. themes were paranormal. Um, and then it just started to develop in about 2017 it was actually October 28th, 2017. We decided to have a haunted walking tour of North Bend, Washington. Okay. And you may know North Bend as being the film sites for both The Vanishing and Twin Peaks, Fire mm -hmm. Walk With Me and, yeah. and the TV series. So that's yes. where we're at. And then it just developed from there. And we've covered so many towns. Um, we just covered Eastern Washington, uh, Cleellum, Roslyn, Ronald, uh, recently and uh, those are coal mining communities with mm -hmm. lots of you know accidents and uh haunted the haunted downtown the historic uh, downtown area of roslyn and there's ufo sightings there and yeah so we've covered a lot of ground here in our state of washington yep. and it obviously isn't and as you've alluded to it obviously isn't just ghost stories it's you know it's ufos i, I one thing i always like to talk to people about because I know we talked a lot about it on this show these days, too. There's just so much stuff that you would put under the umbrella of paranormal, right? I mean, I guess 
when we started doing this stuff 20 years ago, it was like when when I thought of paranormal, I thought more or less like, okay, I'll keep it. I'll broaden it like ghosts and aliens. Right. But there's so much more under that umbrella, I think. But I do like to ask people this. You know, what is like your favorite thing under this umbrella? Like, I guess as telling, you know, storytellers and guides, um, what is, I guess, the most interesting things, interesting things to you guys to talk about and or study? I think we are fascinated with time travel and, and maybe how it's like synchronicity, how things happen. And it, it reveals maybe a, a larger intelligence how things come together. Um, I, I'm really fascinated with synchronicity and clairvoyance. And I think uh, remote viewing is absolutely, uh, it's a great subject to cover remote viewing mm. and also remote viewing contained within uh, literature and film and strange, uh, you know, circumstances. Synchronicity is one of my dirty words, but in a good way. Uh, it's one of those, it's one of those subjects for me also that really it's just from, I think it may be from just certain life experiences I've had that made me question things around me where I, what my place in the universe and all those things. But synchronicity has always been one of those key areas for me also, as far as interest and also at least noticing every day when I'm out doing whatever I'm doing. I, I, I try to keep an eye out for things like those synchronicities in life, those weird things that happen, right? Depending on, you know, it's all a matter what you believe too. But that's very cool to hear that because I don't hear that from a lot of people, honestly, Pop, as far as the areas of interest under the, you know, in this field is, is synchronicity. Do you have any idea why that really, that one piques your interest so much? Uh, I think we've always been interested in, in the passage of time and the mystery of time. And, and one thing is in the dream world, when you fall asleep, um, you go into another world. We all do that. And yeah. what I believe and what my wife believes is that in the world of dreams, past, present, and future exist simultaneously. And even in quantum physics, they talk about the reverberation of an event backwards in time. So let's say, for instance, 9-11 is a great example. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've probably studied many people all over the earth had dreams, had seen the event before it happened and the theory is that it was such a major event that it reverberated back through time and we were able to pick up the, the vibrations. It's almost like a pebble being dropped in the water and we felt the ripples moving backward in time. And I, I'm just so fascinated with that. That That's a very interesting idea, too. I mean, depending uh, when it comes to events in our timeline, we obviously in this this existence that we live in, live in a very linear timeline, just kind of chugging along, going through this linear like thing. And some, for something to happen in the future like that, to be so profound that somehow it's able to, I would call make a ripple effect kind of, that kind of ripples back in time and influences people and say, let, let's say the present time we're talking about, 9-11 is a great example of that because there were a lot of people that were having experiences of this uh, before it happened. Um, that really is profound, and it's a great mystery I think we have in the universe that, I mean, dare I say, I hate to be pessimistic, but I don't know if that's something we could ever solve. I mean, as far as, and I, you know, try, or try to, or I shouldn't say solve, um, understand 
I mean, how do you really understand something like that? I mean, it's it, it, it's an interesting thought, obviously, but I think it's something that's just beyond our understanding. Maybe maybe we don't understand this until we move on. I mean, is that an idea you've had? All I mean, I, that's an idea I would have about that. Is maybe we'll understand this if we move on. You know, if we do go on past um, this physical life we have, maybe you do understand things like that. But maybe it's just not within our competence, our our, our understanding in this life. You follow what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and one example specifically of that event, uh, back in 1993, I just so happened to paint a picture of uh, an, a building exploding in mm. a fireman's ladder. And when you look at this painting from 1993, it looks like the event on 9-11. And so I posted that on the 20th anniversary. And, you know, I'm not claiming that I'm the only one that has this ability. I mean, I think all human beings has this have this ability. They can enter that realm where past, present, and future exist simultaneously, like I said, in the dream world. And, you know, when your children, when people are younger, they, I think they're more tapped in. That's also been said by quite a few investigators. I agree. Yeah. Yep. No, I I agree with that hundred percent. And I think it's a, it's a common idea now when it comes to the young mind, as opposed to an older mind, an older mind, while an older mind may be wise in the ways of, of the world we live in now, um, a lot of us are hardened. We're jaded, jaded from all the years of living. We also build up filters in our minds to block out all what we would consider noise where children, they don't have those experiences behind them yet. So it's very easy for them to be open to all this, all these weird things that maybe come into their mind or maybe things that come, they come up with. I don't know. Uh, I think that's a pretty, it's a pretty common idea now, and I agree with that. How can't you agree with that as far as children are concerned? It seems like they would be less – it's just simply a filter thing. They would just be less prone to be filtering out information that we're talking about right here. Do you follow, do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, and so when, you, when you're silly and you're childlike, for yeah. instance, yeah. as an adult, you almost revert yourself back to that mindset. So when I say there was a little dog, his name was Jack, he pooped all over the railroad track. When a train come by, the poop flew high, hit the conductor right in his eye. (laughs) The conductor says there's a bald headed guy with one eye. He spit some chew tobacco into my eye. So when I get into a childlike mindset, like I go into another realm and I'm sitting around the fire with my relatives, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, and I'm looking into the fire. And I'm having these memories of when I was a child. And for me, when I put myself in that frame of mind, I'm more open to these other possibilities. And when I go to dream that night, when I lay down and go to sleep, it opens a doorway for me to to see, you know, kind of see other things beyond me. And it is, it's like silliness, it's childish uh, rhymes and poems. And I grew up with logging camp stories. I know there's a guy named Chad Lewis who does lumberjack creatures in the Midwest. And so I have a fondness for uh, Midwestern lore because a lot of that migrated to the great Pacific Northwest. A lot of these loggers that came here, they brought their stories of the hide behinds and, you know, the whole Paul Bunyan realm, the world of Paul Bunyan. Yeah. Yeah. All of these. Yeah. And so a lot of this stuff is connected to a deeper spiritual understanding. There's like, an underlying archetype, you know, archetypal uh, world out there that you can tap into. I want to step back for a second because this, okay. you really triggered a thought that I think I don't think I've ever experienced before, and that 
we talk about this idea, uh, you know, of psychical functioning, ESP, you know, all, all the stuff under the paranormal, the umbrella I talk about. And, you know, I've been trying, I've talked to a, plenty of people in my life about meditation and, and finding a way to get your mind to a, to a different spot, you know, uh, you know, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. Um, and usually it goes, well, Scott, you got to calm your mind. You have to calm your mind. And if you know me on a personal level, you know that's an impossible task. My mind is just reveling millions of miles a second all the time. There's always something going on up there. It's a circus. Uh, so it's one of the hardest things I have to do when I try to try to calm my mind. Or, you know, any type of thing. You know, you have to calm your mind. Uh, you, you need to focus your mind uh, to, to do these things. I've never heard it put this way, and, and it, but it makes so much sense to me because I think it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with young people. I, and this all just kind of ties together, I think, Bob and Laura, because young people don't have those filters like we said. So they're more, they're more open and more prone to have these experiences. So by reverting yourself back to that mindset somehow, like you're talking about, um, that's how you may be able to break through on this thing. That's what you, is that what you're saying? I just want to make sure I, I'm clear on that. Yes, absolutely. So by reciting, you know, uh, a joke or a story or something from my childhood that I remember, it it puts me back in touch with that sensitivity when I was like six or seven or eight years old. You know, yeah, and, absolutely. And it's something. It's it's so funny we're having this conversation because I was thinking about. I reconnected with a friend uh, that I've known for you know 25 years now, but we had you know some downtime. We had stuff in our lives to do, and you guys know how that works. Sometimes people come in and out of your lives, and for some reason this this summer, me and you know me and my you know, my better half and him and his better half um, just somehow spent every Friday night together. Sometimes both Friday and Saturday night together, just having drinks. And acting like complete idiots, just having complete, just going completely crazy. Not, you know, not nutty, not dangerous, but just being completely immature and laughing and making jokes and just going down that, that, that gauntlet basically. Right. And one of the things that I, I noticed with that was how good I felt the next day. I mean, I felt really energized and I felt very invigorated, uh, you know, we had, you know, we had a little bit of alcohol and stuff like that too, but, um, I wasn't waking up feeling bad. I was waking up feeling very energized and feeling very good. Even during that, those, those, those episodes we had together, I just felt really alive. I felt wonderful. I felt fantastic because we really were reverting back. <laughs> I mean, we were just, we were telling jokes and having fun, but I don't find myself, I guess, at this point in my life doing that very often with people or being comfortable with people to behave that way, I guess you you feel you you follow what I'm saying. Uh, so, I guess it's interesting to hear this because maybe that is some type of function, you know, psychical functioning in its own right, where you may be breaking through to something somehow, uh, but you don't know it, obviously. You, but you're just maybe just by having fun, heaven forbid, having a great time and laughing and reverting back to this childish idea that you're talking about, correct? Yeah, absolutely. The other part of that is uh, your ancestors. So like our house that we live in here, we have, I have my great grandmother. Um, we have my grandparents that passed away here as well. And then we yeah. have my uncle Bob. And so the other part of that uh, for us, uh, it's not for everybody, 
but we feel that we have a direct connection with these ancestors that we're uh, sharing the space with that passed away here in this house that are blood related. Wow. And I mean, that really does. That just taps you in on a whole other level. The other day we had a, a psychic medium from Texas on the phone. She'd never been here. I barely knew her. We got this recommended from a friend and we were walking up the driveway and she says, Hey, where's the memorial bench? And I said, Oh my God, I walked over to the bench. I'd never told her about it. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's amazing. And she picked up on my uncle Bob we had an e- we had a, a ghost meter with us, you know, <laughs> yeah. and and it was really cool because it, yeah. it started sounding off. Oh, wow. And it was like he's standing right there, my Uncle Bob. And of course, you have to get away from the refrigerator, as you know, because yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. you're kind of silly if you're using a ghost meter by electricity. Yeah. I but I guarantee we were far away from the electricity. And she says, oh, yeah, your Uncle Bob is standing right there. And I was like, wow. And it just went it lit up absolutely bright in that one spot. It was just so amazing. and so beautiful. So it, those two pieces that they, and I felt that too. And I don't want to ramble on about that, that also, but I've had, I, I go to places where, you know, I know my relatives have been, I mean, I, I, I mean, you guys got it lucky that you guys have, it. that's really cool. Uh, but I, there are places I go to, um, you know, where I, where I, you know, we spent time with relatives where I was with relatives and I get that feeling, you know, you feel that you feel their presence, I believe that. I do feel that they're still there. Their essence may still be there. Maybe they're not there, but their essence may be left there. And maybe that's what you feel. And I think that's good too. I mean, I think, and I think these are all things that they're healthy things. I think myself, wouldn't you agree? We talked to all kinds of people, very interesting, colorful folks, but I think there's a difference between like childish and childlike. There's a very big distinction. So being childish is probably a negative connotation, but being childlike is kind of what we're talking about. You're, you're being, you know, you're just kind of full of joy and you're full of innocence and joy where childish is maybe more of a negative. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to just, yeah, we've got a handful of, of, close friends where they'll they'll come over and we'll act really goofy <laughs> it's like you're describing yeah you know fun. sitting around with a bowl of popcorn watching bad horror movies from the 80s and <laughs> yeah eating candy and well, you know you you see that personality type i think i know i i see it and i think i probably emulate it because i'm still doing stuff i know i was doing when i was 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm still doing those things, maybe on a more expensive, grander scale, but I'm still doing those things. And I know personally, I'm viewed by some people like, man, that guy just hasn't grown up yet. Right. Like, well, yeah, I've grown up, but I just, I, this keeps me young. This keeps me vibrant. And I, you know, when I hear when I heard this initially, Bob, um, mm-hmm. that's what made my antlers pop up. Cause it's like, well, yeah, I think, I do this. I do things to keep myself young or keep my mind young that way. And I, and I, and the things you love and yeah, so what maybe it may be a, a hobby rooted, you know, rooted in children or adolescence, but um, it's still fun to do. It's still something cool. So why not do it? Right. So, I mean, yeah, that whole idea is just fascinating to me. Uh, you know, because, you know, and going, cutting through, in different ways. I always thought it was more or less pointed at, well, you need to, uh, you need to get focused. You need to start drooling, <laughs> you know, as far as meditation and things like that. But may it, maybe it just is simply just what, like what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Living your life to the fullest and staying young and having fun. And that's where the enlightenment maybe comes. 
right? Yeah. So, so here's a, here's a story. Yeah. Like, so when you were 10 and 12, you probably heard stories that just changed your life. And so here's a story that changed my life. Yeah. My, my grandfather, he would say, imagine you were in a rocket and you were flying into space and the rocket went for miles and miles and years and years. And it went deeper and deeper out into space. And finally it hit a wall and it couldn't go any further. And he said, what's on the other side of that wall? And then it got me to thinking, and I, I couldn't answer the question. And he says, that's what eternity is. So let me ask you, uh, when, you were, when you were younger, if you were sitting with a, a, a grandparent or an aunt, did they ever implant a passion at, at a certain age about a certain subject? Did they tell you a story about a ghost sighting or maybe a UFO encounter that made you think about the paranormal for the rest of your life? Like maybe you have something like that you'd want to share. I was never approached directly like that. I never had a question asked to me, but I, one of the things I love telling people when it comes to the paranormal was that my grandmother on my father's side was a, a classic Southern bell from Cookville, Tennessee, right? Classic Southern bell. Uh, but very progressive, very progressive in the way of she was open, you know, straight Baptist, but she was still very open to alternative thought, to fringe thought, right? So I remember spending handful of, a handful of afternoons with her in the living room of her and my grandfather's house in, in Tennessee with a couple of books that I had on ghost stories and stuff like that. Uh, and, and, you know, my favorite Ghost, you know, my favorite ghost book of all time, Haunted Houses by Larry Kettlecamp. It's my all-time favorite book. Um, that store, that book goes through a lot of great stories, but it also talks about towards the end gets into some more weird dimensional type stuff. Right, it gets into weird thought and things like that, and that's what I remember talking to my grandmother about a lot. And, and having her be so accepting of that, because other people I tried to talk to were like, okay, this is crazy, hocus-pocus stuff, kid. <laughs> we don't want to hear about it, right? But my grandmother was very open to that. And um, I think that really did plant the seed that you're talking about there, because I was able to exchange ideas with somebody that I looked up to and admired. And that's what pushed me through. And I'm still obviously talking about this stuff to this very day. So yeah, that to answer your question, I, I have I've I've had a discourse with a relative like that, and they did inspire me to do that, to do what I'm doing right now. Yeah, and it's it's like the feeling of safety and being loved, and and it's something that you're passionate about, and you always go back to that because as children we love to feel safe. We know where we were safe when we were younger, and that tends to be what follows us the rest of our life. So there you go. No, it's a beautiful thing. So I want to hear some stories now. I hate to I hate to cut so hard and make such a hard turn, but I I know we you get you the problem. That's my problem is I love to go in the weeds and I hear something interesting and I want to talk about. It. So I appreciate you indulging me on that, but I do want I do want to hear some stories here. Um, so I, I you know what I'm just gonna give you the floor and you do whatever you want, Bob and Laura, whatever you guys want to tell me. I want to hear these stories though. Okay. I'm going to start this story and then Laura's going to finish it. <laughs> okay, here we go. There's the first one. All right. All right, here we go. All right. So right, right down the road, about a mile away, there's a little red log cabin. It's a tavern. And everybody in our community knows about paranormal, supernatural activity at this location. 
And I had a friend that worked there as a bartender and he was closing up uh, late one night and he thought everybody had left the tavern and he was just counting the money and doing the final uh, breakdown of the tips and, you know, locking everything up. He looks over and he's, oh my God, oh, who are you? And there's someone sitting at the end of the bar. He's wearing a blue flannel shirt and he's looking at him. He's, oh, I thought everybody left. Oh, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. What can I help you with? And he turned around to talk to him a second time and he vanished. So my friend uh, saw every detail of his face, his clothing. And I mean, he was shaken up. And so he got the heck out of there pretty darn quick. He called his boss. His boss said, oh, I know we've had some other people We've had some occurrences there, things moving around in the kitchen. We've had, uh, you know, the pool table, balls and pool cues moving by themselves. We've mm-hmm. had all kinds of racket in that ta- in the tavern. And, and my wife has experienced it. And so he still worked there. And two days later, about two days later, same gentleman that saw the apparition, uh, he was working again. And a woman comes through the front door. And she says, are you the gentleman that saw something the other night? And he says, yep, sure enough. And he, he started to tell her the story. And she says, I have something to show you. And she reached into her purse and she pulled out a photograph and his mouth dropped wide open. And it was the exact same person that um, he had seen at the end of the bar two nights prior. And so she went on to tell the story that this was her fiance. Mm -hmm. And in 1990, uh, he called right before uh, leaving the bar. He worked there as a bartender as well. And he said, I'll be right home. And all I know is um, after he hung up the phone, um, he took his own life around the front door, the front steps of this tavern. And he's been haunting that place ever since. And everybody in this town, it's a guarantee if you want to go meet a ghost, you could go to the Mountside Tavern, and it's a guarantee uh, that you will meet this gentleman there. So there's our first story. If there, I, I, I'm sure you've been asked this a bunch of times. Did, was there any reason they ever find out any reason why he did what he did? Because he seemed like he was in, he was in a pretty good state. Uh, I mean, not knowing too much about the guy. He just got off the phone with his better half, and he just commits suicide after that? That's kind of weird. Yeah, it is kind of weird. We we thought of that. We thought of that too. Yeah. Um. We. I mean, most people couldn't really pinpoint why he did it. Um. Just. I mean. You know, when somebody's going through through depression, they they tend to shut down. So you know, some people they they tend to just become extremely private. Mm-hmm. They, they may they may seem kind of you know going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes going through those motions during the day, the people around you, your family members, your friends may think it's totally normal. Yeah. But, you know, it, behind closed doors, we don't really know why he did what he did. We also have a history of uh, people losing their minds suddenly here. We have uh, many cases where suddenly people snap and they go on a shooting rampage or they, they go on a killing spree. And it really, it happens in our in our valley here, there's some really dark uh, events that have happened over the years. And, and and there are some, you know, some people say that there's a, a health sort of background behind that because it rains a lot here. I mean, 
literally, if you're going to move here, you're going to like cloudy days. You're going to like the rain. You're going to want to be able to walk in the rain. You don't care if you have to go to the store in the middle of, you know, a rainstorm. Mm-hmm. It's dark all the time. Yeah, it's dark so a lot dark. of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, people that really appreciate the area, like we live here. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there is a sunny day, we really just, you know, we go outside and, and we appreciate <laughs> the sun. We really enjoy it, you know. You go out, right. and start, so, I mean, go out and start worshiping in the sky. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, people go through go through. I, I forget what it's called. Do you remember what they call it? It's kind of oh, a certain seasonal depression. Seasonal, seasonal depression. depression. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I'm not saying that that's the reason why. I'm just saying, you know, certain people they do, you know, if they they do have that problem. Mm-hmm. But I mean, apart from that, I mean, people do go a little nuts <laughs> around here too. So I don't know. Is yeah. it is it something about the area, or is it something about you know seasonal depression, or is it because of the weather? I mean, we don't know. It's in the water. It's in the water. <laughs> in the rain. It, it could be. It could be, for lack of a better term, no pun intended. I mean, it could be a perfect storm of all those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It could be uh, all those things. Yeah. I mean, it, it really could be. We we have that here in Michigan. We talked about where where I was from before the show, and um, here in Michigan, we, Michigan is you know it's the sportsman's paradise because we have you know we we change seasons like every week basically around here. I mean, literally, we've had in the middle of our winter season, we'll have one day where it is like, you know, 10 degrees outside. And then the next day it, it jumps up to like 60 to 70 degrees. We've actually had that happen to the point where you see fog on top of the snow. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely bizarre. Um, but there is, there is seasonal depression. I think is a very real thing. It's a real thing that people experience sometimes, especially if you're a person that likes to be in the sun. And then all of a sudden here in Michigan, where we go into the stark coldness for several months, uh, whether there's snow or not, still just not pleasant to be outside. And that's where that seasonal depression comes from. You said um, the tavern here that we were talking about, uh, the, the Mount Sea Tavern, that you're guaranteed to see. I, should, I'm, I, I don't want to say that. You know, you, you, a lot of people have seen this apparition there. I guess the last question I have about the story is, why do you think this apparition or this activity, is, it's so active there. I'm wondering... What your thoughts are on that, guys? Why you see? Why they, people keep seeing this uh, this person or this spirit? Uh, well, whenever there's a traumatic event uh, and there's so much sadness or you know anger or high emotions around it, like the next story we're going to talk about as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. Um, it leaves an impression. And so um, a lot of people call that like a stone tape theory. Um, you know, like where emotions will be written into physical objects, so oh, such yeah. as wood or a door or stone or whatever. Mm -hmm. So this might be a case of, it was such a dramatic and shocking event. I just remember when it happened, how shocking it was. Here's the second ghost story, which is also an example of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And this happened on Mother's Day. And this was back in 2013. Um, There was a mother and daughter and a grand uh, baby. They were having a a luncheon, a, a brunch on the back patio. Uh, in a private yard and just having a very nice morning, you know, uh, Mother's Day. And suddenly uh, this person jumps out of the bushes and grabs the mom's purse. She's holding a baby uh, and rips it out of her hand and punches her in the face and knocks her on her back. And the baby goes flying and screaming and crying and 
Oh my God. You know, they called 911. He leaps into the woods. The husband is a fireman and immediately on alert, he's calling, uh, you know, all his buddies and they are immediately just trying to figure this out. Like, Oh my God, everybody's freaked out. So that night um, he had one of his friends, a police officer at the end of the driveway. And just to make sure that people felt safe that night. Well, in the middle of the night, the little dogs, they had little toy dogs. They started barking and yapping. And uh, he got up and he grabbed, uh, I guess, a can of uh, insect spray and a, and a baseball bat. And he walks out. <clears throat> and sure enough, he looks down the hallway and there's this intruder, a home invasion. There's a guy at the end of the hallway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his first instinct, obviously, um, he goes running at him. And the two figures, they clash in the middle of the hallway. And it's this giant brawl. They're just kicking the shit out of each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And the wife gets up. The dogs are barking. Um, and the intruder is winning. So she sees that the intruder is winning. She picks the bat up off the the floor and she starts to hit the intruder over the head as hard as she can. Nothing. The guy won't stop. And her husband is being overtaken. And so she finally goes into the kitchen and she, she grabs a kitchen knife and she goes back in and she stabs him. Like, I think 20, I think 27 times. And he finally, he finally lets up, but she's, she's defending her husband, you know? Yes. And he, he bleeds out on the floor and he dies. Well, here's the, the ghost story part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know the site and we know the neighbors and there's a few neighbors that report seeing a shadow figure, uh, hunched over wearing a hoodie with a duffel bag, sort of shadow figure walking across the yard, kind of transparent and will disappear. They'll, he'll be walking and approaching the house where the intrusion and the stabbing happened, and then he'll just vanish. And so it's like being replayed, almost like rewinding a tape or a VHS and playing back this memory, this traumatic stone tape theory, this memory that keeps going. Yeah, uh, residual type haunting. You're talking. Mm-hmm. Say, I like stone tape theory. That's way cooler. <laughs> and I've never heard it put that way before, too. I, 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 you said that a minute ago, and I was like, that's, I like that. And then I'm reading through the notes, too, and I saw that earlier today. Um, that's a really cool way to put that, stone tape theory, because, I mean, I've always said that about these residual type things. And uh, there's there's been papers written on this idea that certain areas, especially, you know, in England and Wales, the old castles out there, you hear about them being haunted. They're they're ridiculously haunted. They're just extremely haunted areas, and they say it is because of of the certain stones that they use to make these make these castles out of. Uh, lots of quartz, uh, lime, you know, limestone, all types of different stones. That, that we talk about granite. Uh, they say that's a good conductor for cyclical cyclical energy. I should say. Um, so I mean, hearing that it's the same stone tape theory that makes perfect sense. Uh, God, what a violent story, though. Those poor people. How long ago was that? Do you know? You said you 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 knew these people. Uh, it was 2013, and and my wife can kind of fill you in on the. Uh, this is all public domain, yeah. so um, they I can I guess defer to her well, when it comes to the discovery in the hallway. Go ahead. Obviously, we're not going to disclose like who these people are. Of course. Because it's a horrible thing to have happen. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so there, there's really no reason why this guy did what he did. But um, the, the weirdest thing about that night is that after everything was said and done and they, the cops took the reports, they made sure everybody was all right. They, they ended up uh, noticing, obviously, when they first came in to be able to kind of 
lock things down and make sure, you know, everything just stays exactly, you know, as it is before they actually start doing the investigation. Mm-hmm. But they, they obviously the first thing they noticed was in the center of the hallway um, over towards the kitchen dining room area. There was a tripod there. Uh, they in his duffel bag he had I believe it was a rope duct tape. Um, he, he you know basically kind a kill of, kit kind of like a, a rape kit. A kill oh, okay a kill kit all right yeah yeah, yeah a kill so, kit yeah. I mean um, he was gonna he, tie him up had, and yeah, torture he, him or he, something he had a video yeah. camera obviously that's what the tripod was for so I mean again he he had obviously he planned to be able to harm the the young lady the the mother um mm-hmm. that nobody knows why nobody has any clue why but knew he he had been watching her for quite a few months uh they don't know where they met how they met uh why uh, this guy decided to attach himself to her i mean she was uh they believe that he he attached himself to her sometime just before she had the baby so she was pregnant and then she had the baby and the baby was brand new and you know it was mother's day and you know that this terrible thing happened and then you know then they end up killing this guy you know just sheer out of be able to you know to be able to survive to protect their family yes there you go so i mean why this guy did what he did um we don't they 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 know uh the way that the house was positioned they have a very long driveway their front yard is completely wide open uh their parking area is actually around just around the house so you can't really see if there's any any cars parked there um there was some there are some bushes and trees by the parking area in the back they they noticed that there was a pile of cigarette butts. There's some trash, there's some bottle, empty bottles of water, uh, juice, some you know wrappers. So they knew that he had been hiding in the bushes right next to where they would park and watching and was watching their goings and and their goings on and just you know watching where they when they left when they came back. Fun story, um, huh? So, um, you know what the most disturbing aspect of that, and you mentioned it a couple of times, and I'm going to mention it again, is just why. That's the thing that disturbs me the most. It's a violent thing we talked about. People being physically assaulted, people being stabbed multiple times. And yeah, I don't have the stomach for that. But what really just, you know, I'm a true crime person. I mean, it's something that you can, it's no, believe me, there's no shortage of it in podcast land (laughs) as far as true crime is concerned. Um, And it's one of those things that still haunts me and bothers me and disturbs me is just like this situation. Why? Just why? What was going on in your head, man? And you'll, we'll never know. That's the problem. We'll never know. Yeah. The only, the only thing that they, they figured why he did it was obviously he had some sort of mental illness, mm-hmm. but he himself was actually going through a nasty divorce. Um, he, he did step up his, uh, they say that he stepped up his drinking, that he had lost his job, uh, that he actually recently his, his, his partner, his wife, uh, 
soon to be ex-wife actually did they did have a baby um that there was some sort of like nasty you know uh child custody thing that was going on yeah and yeah, yeah uh, and just kind of something put them over the edge yeah oh yeah so, man, that's haunting that, that it, that's it's disturbing so, go ahead so back to the um you know we were talking about the stone tape thing now so yeah. where this where this activity is it's kind of along a fault line so i wanted to kind of bring it back just a little bit yeah no, so that's, where, cool. that's cool where this figure is walking and then disappears where where people see the apparition the recording if you will of the intruder that area is on a fault line so we've we've talked before to other people who have uh, indicated that there's activity unusual activity electromagnetic activity along fault lines and so we've discovered along the fault line here in our valley there's a lot of paranormal and supernatural activity including this uh intruder that's why i refer to it as stone tape it was the kind of the closest thing i could think of you know because it is it's along a fault line it's kind of, isn't that interesting have you ever heard that before oh yeah i've heard about fault lines before yeah with paranormal connected to paranormal yeah, oh lines. yeah absolutely yeah okay great okay cool 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 no that that and that makes sense again that just makes sense uh that, maybe it records it there more than it would record it elsewhere i don't know maybe yeah, absolutely. The yeah. uh we gotta get away from this because i'm really getting bummed out <laughs> i hope i'm done. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about Bigfoot for a second. Um, some stories about Bigfoot. Could be, yeah, the floor is yours again, Bob and Laura. All righty. The subject of Bigfoot. Well, we live in uh, Bigfoot Central, the Cascade Mountains here, especially Western Washington. Um, 1976, it was January 25th. There were two gentlemen that were using a metal detector on the South Fork of the Snoqualmie River, and they discovered footprints and they led uh, into the woods for about a mile and they followed those footprints. They made casts of those footprints. Two days later, it hit the news all over the world. Um, there were Bigfoot hunters. Some of the most famous Bigfoot hunters came to town. And I know uh, Peter Byrne and there was John Green, John Green. Uh, were investigating. Um, that was 1976. So through the 70s, there are so many stories of Sasquatch in this area. It's probably, people say Washington, Oregon is the highest amount of sightings. I mean, you, you see them all over the world. All, uh, all over the world, there are cultural explanations for Bigfoot. But it seems to be Washington and Oregon and British Columbia have some of the highest rates of sightings. Now, personally, in 1988, um, I was walking to North Bend. With my friends again we were going to get some candy we we're going to watch some horror movies and i was about 14 at the time mm -hmm. and i came around the corner of the snoqualmie valley walking trail and there in the bushes uh there was this big figure uh, you know and i i didn't really see it at first and then all of a sudden we came around the corner and it just let out this bellow and i know what wildlife sounds like i know what a bear sounds like and um this was supernatural and so how i could describe it as very high pitched, but very low and growling at the same time. And it also had an electrical quality. So when the, the scream went through the air, it kind of vibrated my whole body. Um, and all three of us just ran. We just knew this was not normal. This was abnormal, just crazy. We were totally scared. We ran back to the house. One of my friends said, I've heard the same thing up at Tokel Creek and, and I've seen some things and I don't want to ever talk about this again. He was so, so scared. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, in 1994, so that happened in 1988. 
1994, just down the road, across the Red Bridge at Mount Side Road, a gentleman that I know, William, um, he uh, was walking with his cousin up the Little Side Trailhead. This is very close to where we had our encounter, but six years later. And he said that all of a sudden, all the birds got quiet. And it was like he had cotton balls in his ears. Mm -hmm. And it was like his ears were ringing. And he could smell a foul odor suddenly. And no birds were singing, totally dead silent, foul odor. Uh, They got really nervous. Suddenly, they looked up at the ridge above them on the mountain. And there was this eight, nine foot tall creature staring down at them. And... Um, I wasn't there, but I can imagine how frightful that would be. Um, and it's so interesting. It's very close. It's within a half a mile of our experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the experiences go on and on. We have hundreds of stories in this area. Is there anything that you would like to know about the phenomenon of Bigfoot in our area? Well, I, I'm wondering why there's so many stories mainly. Is there any any glue that's anybody, that anybody's been able to discover as to why there are so many sightings and so many stories from that area. Okay. So this is, this is one of the things that my wife and I are, I think are known for, and I've never heard anybody uh, uh, share this theory, but I will share it again. We've shared it on other shows. Cool. Um, basically we're known for serial killers. <laughs> and I had a friend of mine that stayed here and he was from Alaska and he shared with me one day, just randomly, he had some knowledge about, Bigfoot, Sasquatch. And he shared with me something so profound that I think it connects uh, all of these cases in a, in a major way. He said that when innocence is in danger, so when women and children or when things are happening that are murderous or cruel, people are being tortured or you know hurt badly, this supernatural being will show itself and it will let human beings know there's something wrong. And that was the knowledge that he shared. And I thought about that for a long, long time. We thought about that. And then we realized um, we are in uh, an area where not only the Green River Killer, but Ted Bundy was very active. We had the truck stop killer that came through here. Um, We have a lot of veterans who come back from the wars. Washington State is known for people that came back from Vietnam and different wars. And they had just lost their minds and stuff like that. So along this walking trail and through this area, there are specific sites where bodies were dumped and where activities happening, where simultaneously people are reporting Bigfoot sightings right near those body dump sites. And we can give you some examples of that. So what do you think of that idea? I think that's fascinating. And I think it's, this isn't, this wasn't committed to tape, but we were talking about the Nain Rouge um, before the show, if you guys remember. And mm-hmm. you, I mentioned the idea of, you know, the debate about the Nain Rouge here, and it's one of our Detroit legends we have, and how the Nain Rouge, they, the argument, it's an argument, again, over the, whether it's, um, it brings bad stuff or it's warning us about bad stuff, right? Um, and that sounds similar, kind of, how you're describing the Sasquatch now. I mean, or am I totally off the, the path here? Did I miss something? <laughs> or am I, am, 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 I, am I drawing a line I shouldn't be drawing? No, you're, you're fine. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we can, I can um, refer to this as well because um, this happens to do with my wife's heritage or culture. Um, we, were, we were told that um, in the Dene 
uh, culture in ancient times that there is a world of the Nahani and the world of the Dene people. And the Nahani are sort of like Sasquatch, you know, really large uh, bodied humanoid covered in hair um, there. And they live in the, what's called the Headless Valley. You may have heard the Headless Valley. That's where my mm -hmm. wife's tribe is from, Fort Liard. Mm -hmm. um, and so whenever innocence is in danger, um, there is an ancient agreement. We've heard this before between the tribe of the Nahani and the tribe of the Dene people where they will look out for each other. So if, if someone's in the, on their turf or if someone is being threatened, uh, innocence is in you know, uh, danger, that kind of thing, the Nahani will show themselves and vice versa. And so there's this theory about ancient agreements and we've talked about it. And I think it's safe because um, you know, um, it was shared with my wife and um, she's, she's okay with that, that information out there. And, you know, her mom's an elder and, you know, that's fine. Mm -hmm. It's very fascinating though. Isn't that a fascinating idea? It is a fascinating idea. You know, it's, it makes me think also about, about Bigfoot or the Sasquatch. It's an idea that's been, that's been cycling around, um, the last few years, I think. I've heard more people talking about it, about Bigfoot is that it isn't because I guess the biggest problem people have with Bigfoot is, you know, well, we've we have all these stories and all these years and we still haven't found a carcass yet. What the hell is going on here? Right. Which is a good question. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic question about this. Why haven't we? We have all these stories. We have all this video. We have these pictures, but no carcass. And somebody somebody theorized and said, well, what if Bigfoot is an interdimensional being? Or if, what if what if Bigfoot is an alien of some sort? What if he can just appear and disappear at will when he when he or she wants to? Right? Have you guys heard that idea before? Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So and we have a we have a, a another story about something called a nookluck, and there's another cryptid that's a, a little shorter in stature mm -hmm. from Fort Yard. And it's connected to Laura here. Now, this is the strangest thing that happened to us. This is so crazy. Uh, but we woke up one night in our bedroom and Laura had been feeling um, something touching her legs and thought it was the dog. Thought it was the dog. <laughs> and she kind of opened her eyes and saw something. And I opened my eyes and I saw this little five foot tall, five and a half foot tall, furry a man standing by the bed and he was, wasn't the dog was not the dog. <laughs> and, yeah. And he looked into my eyes. He got really close. His face, I would say his face and my face, it was a, he, he was looking at me about maybe two feet, a, a foot and a half away, really close. And he, he knelt down by the bed and he touched my arm, but it was the most friendly face, the most friendly face I'd seen. And it looked, I mean, it was like, oh, my God. It looked very Sasquatch-like or Bigfoot-like, but it was shorter. Now, come to find, and, and uh, it was a nookluck. And there are famous um, sightings in Fort Liard where mm -hmm. my wife is from. That's where her family is from. And they are spiritual beings. Isn't that just absolutely amazing? We're being protected. Our house is being protected by nookluck. Hey. <laughs> little Sasquatch. Mini, mini Sasquatch. Isn't that awesome? Well, it's it's definitely reassuring. I, I I feel like we live in a time where, you know, innocence, you know, not yeah. to go too dark, but I just feel like we live in a time where innocence and, and good people seem to be getting taken advantage of more and more. And the thought of creatures 
that are put in place to defend that, like superheroes, right? Um, it's definitely reassuring, I have to say, and I think it's fantastic. It's 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 a different way to look at Bigfoot, I think. Well, in a knuckle luck too that we're talking about. I think those are fantastic ideas, and I think we need more of that. We need lots more of that. And and where we're at right now, I think, is a race of people. <clears throat> um, UFOs. Can we talk about UFOs for a second also? Or do you have some stories on UFOs you'd like to share? Okay. So our friend Adam uh, was on a hike and he was with a friend and they were, it was a night hike and they were by the river. And suddenly he saw this giant orange blob of light above the trees and he couldn't believe it. And it was just absolutely something he could tell, not anything he's seen before totally unusual, supernatural looking. It was this kind of blob of light, kind of like almost like when you blow bubbles, I guess, like, and you have a a very large bubble right before it pops. Mm -hmm. And so he watched that for a while. He got a little clip of it on his phone and that kind of thing. Well, it turns out um, this was probably two or three years ago when this happened by the the Snoqualmie river. Um, It turns out that in the 1960s, there was a major sighting of a very similar orange blob above Mount Sai. And so, and, and apparently the locals saw the UFO come down and land. And so there's an actual, there are actual coordinates where this UFO landed and it was an orange blob. I know it sounds bizarre, but Mm -hmm. it landed. And so there's, there's two reports of that here now. My, and he didn't know the thing about Adam is that he didn't know about the 19 late 1960s sighting above Mount Sai. And his description is is almost identical to to the other description, and I think that's amazing. So, um, as far as uh, in any further, there are there's actually another site up the Middle Fork. Now, this is crazy, where there were campers and they had little men peeking into their tent, and okay. so there was a whole group of campers. And we have the coordinates. We have the coordinates of where that campsite is. There was a UFO that landed, and they saw lights, they saw a craft, and there were little men that were peeking in the tent and they look like little grays and that's up the middle fork of the Snoqualmie. FYI, they weren't drinking. There was no drugs involved. <laughs> you know, I know if they were grays and they had the technology to fly across the universe or the galaxy to come here, that it's not going to matter that much, but that's why I camp in a van. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I am like famous for that now uh, because I'm such a wussy and I hate tents so much. And it's just that very reason right there. Uh, I'd rather have at least a couple inches of sheet metal in between me and uh, oblivion, <laughs> let's say, um, than a piece of nylon, I guess. Uh, it seems like I'd have a little bit more time to process it before it happens. But that just rams my point home about that that you guys have never heard <laughs> but but that is that would that right there is up up there with um and i'm fascinated with ufos i'm you know not with the hollywood aspect of it like you know what's really going on out here and i think at this point you gotta be nuts to think that we're alone out there that's just my my take on it uh but nonetheless Let's put all, all let's put all of ourselves in their shoes for a second. You're trying to get a decent night's rest in your tent and you wake up and little gray men are looking in 
looking through the flapper of your tent. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. going. I'm going home. <laughs> I'm just. I'm going home. I don't. I wouldn't want to think about that. Um, I think that's as bad of a situation as it could be for something like that. Um, last question I have on that though too. Um, as far as UFO sightings, do you think there's any reasons, you know, as far as Washington State and stuff like that's concerned, the area, do you think there's a reason why there may be, there may be experiences like that too? Kind of like the Bigfoot thing. I'm just curious. Okay. So connections to this area. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's like the ring of fire. There's a lot of volcanic activity here. Um, I've heard a theory that uh, the Pacific Rim and the ring of fire, wherever there's volcanic activity, um, there are a lot of, there are a lot more, uh, unidentified objects spotted. There is a connection there. Um, Mount Adams is famous for, uh, UFO sightings and craft. People see, people will watch crafts. Like there'll be a, a like, kind of like Mount Shasta where a door will open up and these objects will come in or go out or leave or exit, enter. Mm. Um, it's, it's very common with like Mount Rainier, Mount Adams, uh, Mount Shasta. These are all you know, volcanic mountains, yeah. um, very common. Um, and so what it is about that, um, I don't have a specific answer, but I do know that we, people have noticed that. In fact, the, the most famous sighting, you know, that started the whole flying saucer craze was over Mount Rainier, of course, you know, that with yeah. Kenneth Arnold. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's just tons and tons of sightings over volcanic areas that have volcanoes like Crater Lake is another place in Oregon. Oh my God. So much activity at Crater Lake in Oregon. Well, they're clearly curious, and I think a volcano, you know, that it just makes it. They that's just a simple answer to that is it, it it piques curiosity. If you're some researcher from a different galaxy, from some different planet, and maybe they don't have volcanoes on their planet, maybe they don't, and they're curious about this thing, and maybe that's why they go there to study that. They're not, you know, they're not going to do anything else but just try to learn, which I think would be a really cool idea about that. Uh, it, it's the optimistic idea about why they're here, why they're researching, and maybe they are just uh, geologists <laughs> trying to learn about things. I really hope that would be the case. Uh, well, go ahead. We've been visited. We've been we have been visited by something in our home other than the nookluck. I know that's like wow, that's pretty crazy. But here's another crazy story that mm. you might enjoy. Oh yeah. Um, out here in the living room um, one night, um, this was witnessed by multiple family members. Um, I woke up and I saw standing in the threshold, I saw a woman and she was all dark, but she had four arms. She had four arms and she would raise two left arms and then her two right arms would lower. And then she would raise her two right arms and her two left arms would lower. Now, the thing that was very unusual about her is she had stars and like looked like galaxies all over her chest area. It was like you could look into outer space in the middle of her body torso. Now, the strange thing is, is that Laura here saw the same thing. And go ahead and describe what you saw. Well, it, again, it had it had the four arms. I, I literally I knew I knew it was a woman. She was um, I, I couldn't necessarily see her face either, but I it looked like she had she was wearing a hood. Mm-hmm. And she, she was just very, very long and she w- was moving her arms. And yeah, the strange thing is, is that like, I had not, when I saw this, I had not mentioned a darn thing to, to Bob about it. Like I said, nothing. Cause I was like, 
am I dreaming? <laughs> no, no, I'm awake. I think I'm awake. You know, I'm questioning myself yeah. whether or not I was, you know, yeah, I was, I, I was actually, you know, you know, coherent. Was I, was I actually, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're a child, you know, you, your daydreams can become kind of real, you know, but I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, I, I saw it. And it was just before it was just before the sun was the sun was actually going down and uh, Bob actually wasn't here when I actually saw it. I think that's when you were in the Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. So he he wasn't even in the country. Two separate times. Two separate times. And I I was just kind of house sitting at the time. And, you know, I was I was just, you know, I I fell asleep in the living room. I was just kind of, you know, I, I, I just read a book and. You know, mm-hmm. I, when I, yeah, I mean, it was just getting dark, and she was she was just there, and I kind of stared at her for a while, and I was kind of wondering, you know, maybe one of the neighbors had wa- you know wandered in or something. I don't know, but it took me a while to kind of realize that she was real, and just her movements were very uh elegant uh, yeah flowing elegant kind of yeah and and the yeah. the way that her the chest area was it was it was kind of swirling and you could actually tell mm. that there there were stars it's almost kind of like you could like you literally thought at first you could look through her but you're actually looking in her and looking past her what do you, that makes yeah. if that makes any sense. I no, mean, no, it totally does. I mean, I guess the only thing I'm thinking about with that is, why do you think she was there? Was do you think there was a reason she was there to visit you? We we actually do know the reason that she was here, and um, it, there there is a, a culture um, locally here that they're immigrants from during the end of the Vietnam War, uh, people that came from. Uh, the Laotian Hmong people, H-M-O-N-G. And there's a lot of supernatural activity surrounding their culture, but they had a a fruit and uh, produce stand out in front of our house. And we got to know the family really well. And a lot of activity that was, it was somewhere between a visitation of a, it seemed like an extraterrestrial and a spirit, but we also had a lot of lights in the sky at the time. So it was, it was just this uh, high strangeness factor to uh, quote uh, Steve Ward there, yeah. uh, going on at our house. Yeah. And it, w- it was just like a combination. We had another visitation. We had a lot of visitors in our house, strange visitors. The the one time there were three canines that were next to the bed. I, I woke up and there were three canines, but the canines, like the woman, had galaxies and stars at their chest, torso. And you could look, it was like you could look into another dimension, another world. But again, the, the Laotian Hmong, it's a very private religion. I'm not allowed to speak too much about it, but I will say that the, this phenomenon was connected to uh, their culture and the visitations were connected. But it did have a, a, an extraterrestrial or UFO element to it because yeah. lights in the sky, mysterious lights, and then visitors in our house. It, it, you know, it sounds, um, I don't remember being abducted per se, yeah. but I do remember seeing these, these things and, and is just wide awake and seeing this. And I mean, in shock, of course, but yes, it really happened. I, I know people think it's crazy, but it's real. So it isn't, I don't think it is. Yeah. I, I think a lot, I think a lot less people nowadays think that too. 
uh, that I think stranger and stranger things are happening to all of us, I think, on a daily basis now. And I think the difference now is that people are more accepting about that and more more importantly, they're um, they're open to it and they're willing to talk about it like we're talking about it, right? And thank mm-hmm. you guys. Seriously, thank you for talking about this with me tonight. Oh, um, uh, you got it. Yeah, there was so many ideas that were exchanged here. And, it, you know, I, I you're talking about uh, – we talked earlier about the youth thing and, and you know – being young, this is the stuff I go away from discussions like this, feeling younger, feeling invigorated. So I want to thank you guys for that. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Let's do it again, too. I'd love to have you guys back sometime. Yeah, it'd be fun. Ghostly Talk! <laughs>